Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week I'm going to talk about a lot of things that involve staring at screens, and I'm going to tell you a hell of a story. That's right, this week we talk about Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. We talk about Arcane, the latest League of Legends show on Netflix. We talk about the ghost in Molly McGee. We talk about Magical Movie Mode, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And I talk about my recent trip to Canada, as well as recapping Critical Role Episode 4, Season 3. I apologize for not being on last week. I obviously was on vacation, as you will hear later on in this episode. And I also needed a week off. But worry not, I have been tremendously productive in that week off. Indeed, I have finished two audiobooks in the last couple of days. They're not very long audiobooks, but I finished them. Um, And I intend to finish two more before work begins for me next Monday. So I have another week off. Um, quick side note, if you enjoy the Going Upcast and wish to support the Going Upcast, please feel free to visit goingupcast.com forward slash store, where you can get access to my movie commentary tracks. And I just recorded, to the detriment of my Netflix algorithm, Twilight. So that one will be going up, hopefully here pretty soon. And then obviously with the Advent season right around the corner, I will be uploading several of my Christmas ones uh, up to up to the site there. And um, I will be continuing to expand and build upon that aspect of the site for quite some time. I, again, I was on vacation. I've been tremendously busy um, playing Pokemon and just stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, t- I intend on, on building that out just a, just a hair bit more. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And I hope you're all doing well. Fellowship of the Ring is the audiobook flavor of the right now. That will take us pretty much to the end of November. And then as soon as December comes around, I've got two other books that I intend to upload before we go back to Two Towers. Um, and I'm just taking a bit of a Lord of the Rings break. Uh, getting some of those some of those smaller books out of the way that I've been meaning to get to for a while. Um, especially given the time of year that it is. So that is, my, that is my intention right now. But that is enough of me jibber-jabbering. Let's listen to an hour of me jibber-jabbering, but about specific topics. So, Owl House is phenomenal. Gravity Falls is spectacular. Disney's quality of recent animated shows has been pretty fucking good overall. Star vs. the Forces of Evil is pretty good. Uh, like, and uh, like, I can't talk enough about how much I love Owl House and how much I'm going to miss that show when it's gone. Anyway... I, I love Owl House so much that I have been diving into the realm of other and the, it's a very small niche other animated Disney shows with strong LGBTQ plus representation involving magic or fantasy worlds of some kind or whatever and one of those shows is the Ghost and Molly McGee which I ignored because of the title. I'm like, that's not great. That's not a great name for a show. And it's happening right now. Like, new episodes are being released weekly on Disney Plus for the first season. Show's pretty fucking new. There's five episodes? Six episodes? Who cares? There's a a small number of episodes on Disney Plus that you can watch right now. Um, But it's quite good. It does things that very few other animated shows do. Number one, it's a struggling family. I love that. Money troubles. And they don't shy away from it. They went hard on that episode and it was awesome. Number two, the entire family is likable. Like there are no shitty family members. The mom's great. The dad's great. The little brother's great. And Molly's great. So, not only do they have a pretty awesome depiction of a struggling family, not only a struggling family, an Irish-Thai mixed family. Dad's Irish, mom is Thai, and the kids are half and half. So, that's a particular blend I've never seen represented before, so that's pretty awesome. Now, while I say I'm looking for shows with strong LGBTQ plus representation, 
As of right now in the episodes, there was nothing to suggest anything of the sort. But you never know with, with shows like this. Another thing that's interesting is that, like, Owl House and Gravity Falls all do the, like, one episode is, like, 22 minutes long, right? Ghost and Molly McGee is the first show I've seen in a long time where it does the 11-minute two-story thing. Granted, those stories usually coincide with each other, but they are separate little, like, quote, episodes. The last show I think I watched that did that was like Steven Universe. And for if you for for good or for ill, whether you like it or you don't, Steven Universe really was formative and groundbreaking in a lot of ways. If you want to look for a a modern show that broke barriers and did the LGBTQ plus thing before it was like really acceptable in the mainstream, you gotta go to Steven Universe. I mean, Steven Universe occurred and existed in a world where even Nickelodeon couldn't fucking, like, do it, right? In Legend of Korra, with Korra and Asami, fucking Nickelodeon chickened the hell out. It comes in right at the end. There's, like, little hints here and there, but, like, nothing substantial. You could still argue that it's, like, fucking platonic. You could. It, it could be... It's up to interpretation. That's what I fucking hated about that goddamn shit with Korra. But you can't... Not in Owl House. Nah, motherfuckers. Them, them's be dating. Not in Harley Quinn. Not in all these other shows. You can't shy and hide away from it. Even She-Ra and the Princesses of Power was more on the nose than that shit. Anyway. Um, but yeah, right now, there's, there's none to that stuff. What we do have is a fairly cute, quaint story about a ghost uh, whose name is Scratch who has cursed a human child with his eternal presence, but the child is just all about that. Beautifully played by Ashley Birch. Molly McGee is, is awesome. Um, each little 11-minute segment has a song element. It's usually about 60 seconds worth of songs. And not only is the writing in the show really smart and really snappy, just like Owl House, but those songs are what I like to call, hey, this is pretty, wait, what the fuck did they just say? Songs. There are songs that you kind of bop along. You're like, okay, I get it. I get it. And then there's a lyric just thrown in there. And then as you actively start listening to the lyrics, you're like, what the fuck? How did this get past the censors? Like, there's some, there's some lines like, um, uh, like, I'm going to burrow into your heart like a ringworm. Um, I'm going to be the prune to your flow of love. Like, I don't know. Like, there's, there are definitely some lines, and there's a lot of comedy in the music, and I adore that shit. It's the type of song you need to listen to it like five or six times to get all of the fucking jokes and the meanings and stuff like that. So the the songwriting in the show is incredibly smart, um, and I, it's definitely one of the strong points of of the show. Um, outside of that, the the plots of each episode can be fairly, I don't want to say generic. But with a show like this, you've, you've got some standards. You know, we're going to make a creative art piece and then other people get involved and your original vision is lost. You know, and then it's not yours anymore. So then you just want to go back and make your original thing because making something with your friends is actually the what matters, not what you make. It's the experience of making some. You know, that lesson's pretty bog standard and old. Uh, making friends the first day. There's a couple of ones where it's like a twist that I think it's fine. Um, and I do like the, the, the ghost side of it. The ghost rules are a little confusing though. Can Scratch be seen by all people or people he just chooses to be seen by? Cause it really does seem like his choice because there are definitely times when people should have seen the ghost, but they don't see the ghost. So there's that. Um, it's, it's a different show. Um, and the fact that it's not like, you know, these big epic storylines that I've gotten pretty used to. With Owl House or Centaur World or, you know, Legend of Korra. You know, it's usually like, there's a big fucking thing going on. These are very much more, I don't want to say slice of life, but it's more in that neighborhood. Short, quick stories. Two of them made me tear up because of just, it's almost like this, this raw ability to showcase really good human stories. And it goes right to the quick of it. Because when you have 11 minutes to get your point across, you do not have the luxury of fucking faffing about with time. 
You gotta get to it. Which means the writing's a little more blunt. It's a little more honest. The situations are a lot more, like, relatable. And it just gets there, and it gets you in the process. So, thumbs up on that. I, I think it's I think it's pretty solid. Not on the same level of some of these other shows, but I think that's mostly because there's just not enough material here in order for it to have that sort of shared space. It is it is a great fucking show, though, and I would recommend it. So, if you have Disney+, Plus, go check out The Ghost and Molly McGee, and thank me later. Let's move on to the next thing, podcast. Shang-Chi! The Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm a little late to the party, but that's because I waited for it to come out on Disney Plus. Because I'm lazy, and to be perfectly honest, I'm perfectly okay with waiting two, three, four months for a movie to come out for free on a service I already pay for, rather than paying additional funds to see it in theaters. Because why would I do that? Um, and just real quick side note. Disney really should just offer both. You know, I'm totally okay with them having things in the theater again, but for those of us who don't want to see things in theaters and still want to see things when they come out, I probably would have paid, you know, the the $30 to see it because then my whole family could have seen it. Like, I, is it a lot of money? Yes. Do I wish they, like, didn't pay, charge people for that? Yes. But at the same time, if people want to pay it, you should give them the opportunity to pay it. You're just leaving money on the table because there are a certain number of people who won't see the movie in theaters and will just wait for it to come out to Disney Plus for free, but they also would have paid you $30. Anyway, that's beside the point. Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings. I heard a lot of people just tell me it was meh, that's fine. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I thought Shang-Chi was incredibly likable right out the gate, which is so fucking hard to do, uh, especially in an origin movie, and especially in an origin movie when we're more than 20 movies into... The Marvel Cinematic Universe. You really gotta try hard to make people care about new people. You know, about new heroes and about new problems. You gotta you gotta work at it because it's a little saturated. But Shang-Chi has wormed their way into, into my heart. That being said, there wasn't a lot of like characterization for, for Shang-Chi. It's a good movie and I love how pieces of the story are slowly revealed over time, over the movie. Like, the way the flashbacks work um, and how it piecemeal gives you information as the movie continues. And so each time a flashback comes around, it answers a question that was established in the present day, which I thought was a really smart way of doing it. Like, you you hear often that Shang-Chi's mom is dead. But it's not until, like, the almost towards, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie, you find out what happens to his mom. So, and you find out in a flashback, which I thought was was really cool. It's, it continues to weave the story, uh, and I thought that was a fun uh, framing device. Um, Aquafina as the, the friend sidekick, uh, I thought did a good job. Um, they are probably one of the more likable sidekicks, if, if that's what you can call them, best friend character. Um, I enjoyed the fact that outside of, like, an arm-linking moment... There was, like, no overt romantic tension between these characters. They're just buds. They're just they're just pals. And that's kind of refreshing, you know? Because um, it's it's not often when media will portray, here's a, here's a chick, here's a dude. They're just friends. What is it like when Harry met Sally? Like, you know, that, that whole fucking thing about how, like, men and women can't be friends because there's always that, like, underlying sexual tension or whatever. Um... But it was nice to see that, at least for this exact moment, there is not any uh, any romantic implications. Unless you really look for them. And then you're kind of stretching it. So, there was that. The villain of the movie, Shang-Chi's dad, was okay. He's not the most forgettable Marvel mo- villain. Um, when they go to, um, like, Tao Lo or whatever, the village, the, the other dimension... Where all of these amazing mythological creatures exist, including dragons and shit, and they awaken the Dweller in the Darkness, which was this Lovecraftian, soul-consuming monster. Uh, that whole fucking sequence was rad. I loved all that shit. I love the fact that we just saw a bunch of crazy-looking animals, and they didn't go, Oh, look, it's a Wadamajigger. They didn't do that. 
If you want to know what those fucking things are, you're going to have to look that shit up and do some goddamn research. I love that they didn't pander. I also loved the fact that a non-insignificant portion of this film, like at least half, if I was going to actually gauge, is in not English. I believe it's Mandarin, but do not fucking push me on that. But it's, it's not English. I thought that was excellent. Movies like this that are all about representation and showing different cultures and different characters who normally wouldn't get the limelight need to lean into that shit hard. And I feel like this movie did, and it did it really well. I thought it was it was a tremendous success. Um, and I love the characters, and I... The, I guess if I had to, like, nitpick a little bit, I'm currently confused as to what the Ten Rings can actually do. They seem to be fairly MacGuffin-y in that they can do whatever the plot needs them to do. And also how they work isn't particularly clear. But then again, the movie also kind of leans into that with its after credit scene of like Wong and Banner and Captain Marvel all going, we don't know what the fuck these things are. Um, although Banner's line of welcome to the circus was pretty fucking great. So I enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It did just enough to tie it into the grander MCU. Um... But it also stood on its own so fucking hard that the only other movie you need to see in order to, air quotes, get the full picture for this story would probably be Iron Man 3. Um, and that's about it. Maybe Doctor Strange if you give a shit about knowing who Wong is before he shows up. But that's not necessary. You just need to know that Wong's a badass. And then you're fine. Um, music was good. The fight sequences were pretty good. Uh, I, I loved the thing on the bus. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, I like it. Just a, a, a good little family drama involving other dimensions and Lovecraftian horror nightmares and big mythical monster fights. Like, that's checking a lot of my boxes. So I, I loved Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and would highly recommend it, especially now that it's free on Disney+. Plus. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I swore to myself I would never give two tin shits about anything Harry Potter related for a very long time. And wouldn't you know it, HBO Max dropped something called Magical Movie Mode for Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone. Now, if they were going to do something like this, which I'll explain what it is here in a second, for any of the Harry Potter movies, doing it for the first one is smart. Because as sick as I am of the entire fucking franchise, that first Harry Potter movie is a work of brilliant genius. And it is a classic movie. Like, it is, it's one of the best. I absolutely adore the first Harry Potter movie. It is the pinnacle. And all other Harry Potter movies strived to be as good as the first one was. Anyway, Magical Movie Mode is uh, a mostly interactive, commentary-esque thing that HBO Max has done where as you're watching the first movie it'll pop up with fun facts you know like um this is what a centaur is and here are what the goblins are all about or here's how to pronounce a spell and what it does and where it came from or here's Christopher Columbus the director of the movie chiming in about some of his favorite scenes and how they were put together um and then there are trivia questions where it's like as you watch the movie you keep score uh, and whoever gets the questions, the most questions right at the end wins. And then they all, they've also like added, uh, little snitches that fly around in certain scenes. And if you see a snitch, you get 25 points or, um, in key lines, the words will appear like stylistically on the screen as the characters are saying it. All of the deleted scenes have been reinserted into the movie, which is making it it pushes up to three hours. I think it's like two hours and 41 minutes or something like that. Still five minutes shorter than the Eternals. Jesus Christ, Eternals. Um, but it was it was very fun. Uh, I even I was watching it with uh, with family and we did a drinking game where it's like every time I, I personally didn't know something, I took a drink, which was basically every time Christopher Columbus said anything. Um, he was like, there's my daughter. And I'm like, I didn't know that drink, you know. Um, but it was... It was a lot of fun. It's a great way to reinvigorate the love of Harry Potter in an embittered, grumpy old soul like me who has seen it countless times. But now it's it, it was fun to revisit it and see like some new stuff, you know? Um, I'd seen all the deleted scenes, but it was also nice to see all the deleted scenes like inserted back into the movie, basically making Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone extended edition, which was... Uh, 
which was a nice little touch. So yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. And of course, it's on HBO Max for free. I think I would enjoy if they did this to the other ones or maybe some other films at all. Um, but I feel like this was like a nice little proving ground to see if people would enjoy such a thing. And um, I did very much. I thought I thought it was great. It made for a very fun viewing experience uh, with the uh, with the folks. And um, yeah, I would uh, I'd recommend it if you haven't seen it in a while and want to see it in a slightly different way, um, especially with the deleted scenes put in. Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone magical movie mode on HBO Max. Now, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So, for those of you who don't know, I'm in between jobs right now. Not to say that I'm like out of work. I'm literally like my start date's in a couple of weeks. I'm just hanging out. I got a couple of weeks off in between. I've got it all lined up. Everything's fine. And I was like, well, I want to do some, some like kind of trip vacation-y thing. You know, I got some days. I'm, I'm, you know, this is like pretty much my only opportunity to take any sort of significant time off without burning PTO for the, in the significant next portion of the future. So let's make the most of it. And I knew I was going to take, uh, my, my mom somewhere for, for Christmas, you know, cause She's not big on stuff, but she's big on experiences. So I was like, okay, well, let's tell you what. Let's spend a couple of days up in Victoria, Canada. We're just going to going to hop on a ferry. Uh, we're going to do all the things. It's going to be great. Um, and so we did all the stuff. You know, we got the COVID test 72 hours before we were supposed to leave. Um, we we signed, we checked into Canada. We did all the things. Here's where we're going to stay. Here's the hotel. You know, blah, 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 blah. We bought the ferry tickets. We did the whole thing. Um and what's great about the the ferry to Victoria is that you have to go to Port Angeles, which meant we got a little bit of peninsula time as well. So uh, the day before we set off, um, my mom's looking at the uh, the weather for just like the area. And uh, apparently the the weather was pretty stormy. You know, lots of rain, high intense winds, so on and so forth. Um, quick, quick fun fact. Um, this storm, this exact storm that I'm about to tell you a story of is the one that has essentially destroyed every entryway into Vancouver. Um, and now the only way to actually get to Vancouver by road is through America. The storm had flooded and caused landslides and destroyed every major road system in and out of Vancouver, except for the one connecting it to the United States. This was a big storm. We... I didn't really fully appreciate that before we set out. I just want to clarify that. I was like, we get rain all the time. How bad could it be? We set off. Uh, we we left uh, to catch the 850 ferry from Edmonds, Washington over to Kingston, Washington, which is the closest one to us. And it's great because it spits you right, basically right on the, the north road to take you to Port Angeles. Um, of course, our ferry to Victoria didn't leave until 2 in the afternoon. So by the time we got over to the uh, peninsula, we had some time to kill. So we shot up to Port Townsend and we did some shopping and we returned an item that uh, we needed to return or something like that. Raining the whole time. Like not an unreasonable amount, but it's it's definitely coming down. Um, and the, ra- the waves across the, uh, the Puget Sound there were a little choppy, a little rough. You could definitely feel the boat tilting from side to side. So it was definitely stronger seas than I'm personally used to. Uh, but it has been a while. After Port Townsend, we went to, uh, we drove through Squim, um, and didn't really stop because we had like an hour before we were supposed to check in for the ferry and to get in line. And so we shoot over to Port Angeles and we find the ferry terminal and I'm pulling up all the stuff on my phone, you know, like here's the receipt for the tickets that I've purchased. Here's my vaccine card. Here's my COVID test results, blah, 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 blah. And we get up, and um, I step out of the car, and we go to the counter, and we start doing the thing. And uh, uh, We get to my COVID test results, and the person goes, these results aren't valid. And I went, what do you mean? It's, I did it on Friday. That's 72 hours before our trip. And they go, it's 72 hours to when you arrive in Canada. I was three hours early. Basically, I would have arrived in Canada 75 hours since I had taken the COVID test. And they go, there's a pharmacy across town. You can get a PCR test there, and then that would be valid. And so we're like, okay, we go. I didn't take the news very well. 
Um, I was under the impression it was 72 hours before the day of travel, uh, which is my recollection for the rule in Iceland. Um, upon double checking, no, that is not the rule to Canada, nor was it the rule to Iceland. I'm just guessing that my COVID test when I went to Iceland was within the 72 hour window and it just worked out, but I didn't recognize that at the time that I misunderstood it. It just didn't matter because I was still within the 72 hour window. It only mattered this time. Also, uh, fun side note, if they didn't catch my COVID test being out of, out of time, uh, my mom's COVID test was also outside that window. Um, but for some reason they didn't catch that. But anyway, we go to the pharmacy and I go into the pharmacy and I'm like, Hey, can I get a PCR test? And they're like, you need to go through the drive-thru. You got to go through the drive-thru. We don't, we don't test in the building. You got to go through the drive-thru. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I get back in the car and if you're keeping track at home, this is the, the second obstacle in this journey. Um, we get in the drive-thru line. Line's pretty long. We're now super pushing it. We have less than an hour and a half to get on the boat, which basically means I have less than an hour and a half to get the test and to get the test results. We call the pharmacist and we're like, is this possible? And they give us this like, you'd be pushing it. I gotta be honest, I'm not entirely sure. You'd be pushing it. It's technically possible, but I can't guarantee anything. So you'd be pushing it. And we're like, fuck it, whatever. Let's just get in line. We pull up to the window. Hi. Yeah, we have we have 75 minutes. It took a while to get through that. We have 75 minutes to get on this boat. Uh, and we need we need some PCR tests. So how much is that going to cost? And it's like, um, uh, yeah, we can do that. Uh, it's going to be 175 a person. We'll set, we'll get the paperwork all set for you. And. We're sitting there being, I'm like $175 a person to get something that should be free. It's, it was, it was, it was absurd. So we wondered like, should we, should we do this? You know, like what, what, what are, what are our options? You know, have there been enough warnings in the universe? Blah, 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 blah. And the person comes back in the intercom and they go, uh, just so you know, we've been experiencing power outages all day because of the storm, and, um, if the internet goes down, we won't be able to process your results. And we just went, fuck it, thank you, goodbye, and we left. We then proceeded, or I proceeded, to call the, the, the ferry company, um, actually I didn't call the ferry company, because the way the ferry company thing worked was like, there was a little bit of an air quotes down payment to reserve your spot on the boat, which... Uh, mounted to $16. Um, and then the rest of the, the fee would have been paid upon me boarding the boat. Obviously, we weren't going to board the boat because they wouldn't physically let us board the boat because of our COVID tests. So I didn't have to worry about that. I called the hotel, canceled the reservation, got a full refund. Totally cool on that. Um, at least I think I did. I should probably confirm that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. And then the only other thing that I had booked out was uh, reservations for high tea at the Empress, which of course, was just a reservation, and I hadn't spent any money on that, so that was all well and good. But now, we're over in Port Angeles, in the middle of this storm, with suitcases full of clothes, wanting to be on a vacation. And we're like, well, what else can we do? And so we're looking around and being like, well, there is the lodge at Lake Crescent. It's on a national park. It's a gorgeous lodge on right on the lakeside. They have kayaks. They've got little cabins. They have a bar. You know, blah, blah, blah. They've got food. It'd be a great little thing. And then we could just explore the peninsula. And we're like, that's a wonderful plan B. Let's do that. Pull it up real quick on my phone. You know, find it a nice room. It's got two beds in it. It's got a lake view. All this great crap. Uh, it's like half the price of the Canadian hotel. So we're able to get, you know, a better room and all that stuff. And I just book it. I'm like, cool. We're currently 30 minutes away. It's going to take us 30 minutes to get there. Let's go get some lunch. You know, it's because it's been a minute. So we go back to Squim and we go to this great place called like the 101 Highway Diner or something like that. Amazing food if you're ever in the area. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I would highly recommend it. Squim is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and we go and get some food. And uh, we're talking about like, you know, what our plans are going to be for the day. It's like we want to go to Dungeon to Spit and we want to go to Hurricane Ridge and all that stuff. And then we'll go to the hotel at four when it's open to check in and we'll just drop off a crap and we'll just crash and it'll be great. Uh, and we eat our food. Uh, then we got gas and we went to Costco for a little bit. And um, then we decided to kind of visit some of the stores in town, almost all of which were closed. So we basically walked down the street, walked back up the street and got back in the car. 
At which point, upon getting back in the car, I see that I've received three missed calls and I have a message. And so I look at it and it's the lodge. It's the Lake Crescent Lodge that we're going to stay at later that day that had called me. And I was like, okay, well, let's take a listen to the message. And I get this, this message. She was very sweet. But it essentially said, um, hello, yes, hi. We, we saw that you booked online. Uh, and we wanted to let you know that the, uh, the roads to Lake Crescent are currently closed due to the storm. Um, and it's not physically possible for you to get here. Uh, we just wanted to let you know so you could cancel your reservation and, uh, you, you will not be penalized for it. Um, just give us a call back. And I just started laughing. Because after the morning we had of trying to make Victoria work and then not working. And then to make a plan B and for it to immediately not work. Because the storm was so intense and the rains were so heavy that every road westward of Port Angeles was closed. And you physically could not drive there. You couldn't go, you couldn't take the 112 and go north and cut through. You couldn't take the 101 across. And even if you went south and around, it was closed eastbound as well. There was no way to get to the lodge outside of parking our cars and walking there. So we call them back and they're like, well, you know, you could give it a couple of hours to see if the roads open up. BT dubs. Upon returning to, you know, where we live after this trip, the roads are still closed. <laughs> So that wasn't going to happen. But we didn't know that at the time. It was like a risk we were taking. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just cancel it. Thank you very much for everything. Please stay safe. You know, because if the roads are all that, like, if the roads are closed, they can't get out. They're trapped there. And that was one of my concerns. Even if the roads opened up and we could, like, zip on through to get to the lodge, the odds of us being able to leave again wouldn't have happened until after this storm left the system, which, to the best of my knowledge, it's still kind of ongoing as of recording this several days later. So we said no to that. And so we decided, well, it's like, all right, let's, we're just gonna head home at this point, but let's let's do Hurricane Ridge, you know? Uh, we'll, we'll go do that. We'll get some great pictures. It's gonna be nice and stormy up there. It's gonna be really cool. We'll go do that. We drive up to the visitor center Hurricane Ridge also to get our national park passes because ours ran out. So we got new national park passes. I tried to pay with a credit card. Ding, ding, ding. Internet's out. You got to pay in cash. Fortunately, we had the cash, but it's just like, oh my God, fucking everything. And the road to Hurricane Ridge was closed. So we couldn't do that either. And everything at this point of everything we tried to do and failed to do just became more and more funny as time went on. We went over to Dungeness Spit at about five minutes before the park closed, was able to get a couple of pictures of the actual spit itself. And if you don't know what it is, it's this enormous sandbar. It's like 12 miles long. I think it's the largest one in the world. It's it's just gorgeous. It's awesome. But only if you have time to explore it, uh, which we did not do. We get back to the uh, Kingston to board the ferry to go home at like five o'clock. We're able to get on the 5.30 ferry. Um, and, to, and we discovered that it had hailed so much at Kingston that it looked like it had snowed. There was white everywhere. And it was hail. And we were just like, what is this day like? This storm system was like nothing I'd ever seen. And we were barely in it. Like, don't get me wrong. It had rained pretty much nonstop whilst we were over there. But, I mean, it's destroyed major parts of Vancouver. And I am terrified to think of what those waters would have been like sailing north from Port Angeles to get to Victoria. That's an hour and a half on essentially open ocean. Like the Salish Sea, like it's, there's like, there's no islands in between. It's, it's just water. It would have just been walls of waters and storm clouds. And that little boat would have been tossing and turning like a motherfucker. And God forbid we were able to get on the boat and then Canadian customs stopped us to the point where we would have had to come back on the boat. They wouldn't have let us step onto Canadian land. We would have been on that rocking, horrible boat for three hours and ended up going home anyway. So, yes. Eventually we got food and we just did sort of like a staycation involving a lot of Christmas shopping. We had a bunch of malls. We had a bunch of food. You know, it was, it was great. Because the whole point is to spend time together, right? It doesn't matter where you do it as long as you do it. Um, and that was that was the whole point, so... It just became this... It, it, was, it was beggar's belief at just how many things could go wrong like back to back to back. Um, but clearly, we were not supposed to be in Canada. 
because of the storm, because of the laws, because of everything we tried to do, we were obviously not supposed to be over there. So, lesson learned. Um, but that is a that is my tale to tell on that fucking shit. And uh, as of right now, um, I'm back on my regularly scheduled programming. You know, of doing crap that I need to do, mostly recording books and stuff like that. But holy crap, it was it was intense. Uh, but we were able to. Spend some time, watch some movies, and do some do some fun stuff like that. So that was, that was all well and good. But that storm system was no fucking joke. So if you're paying attention to what's going on in this neck of the woods, uh, just know that when it, when it first hit, I was in the middle of it. And uh, it was pretty bad, but I didn't... I had no idea how bad it truly was. You know? It's, it was... Oh, boy. Kind of blew my mind. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Now, this show caught me by surprise, because I didn't even know it was a thing that could happen, let alone something that was made and has been released on Netflix. And that is Arcane. Sorry, I just plugged my phone into charge. Um, Arcane. I don't know. I've only seen the first episode, so that's all I can judge, all I can pass judgment on. But I do know what it's based on, and that is League of Legends, which... That right there is why I was like, really? You can... They did that? They've made a show about the lore developed in League of Legends? I gotta say, that first episode is pretty solid. Um, I, as a person, know next to nothing about League of Legends. However, the one character I knew anything about was Jinx. And wouldn't you know it, that's kind of who the show's about. Now, there could be other people... There's probably other characters in that show that are like, oh, yeah, it's this person who's also, like, a playable character and you can... you can, They're a champion or whatever the fuck. A legend. I don't know what you call them. I've never played League of Legends. Ever in my life. Uh, I've seen tournaments. My roommate in college was the vice president of the League of Legends club at my school. So they were super into it. I just... It just never did anything for me. Um... But I got it, like, the world was super rich and well-developed, which only makes sense, given how long League of Legends has been a thing. Um, the performances were really good. The animation was super kind of unique. I'm sure I've seen stuff that looked like this before, but it was uh, it was very engaging, and it really kind of sucks you in to the, uh, to the, to the story and the world. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. I can't wait to see the other... I think there's five episodes out right now. I can't wait to watch them, but... That that first impression was was really, really strong. Not to the point where I want to play the game, but definitely to the point where I want to keep watching. Like, this is way much more up my alley, and I think that's really cool. Um, and it's... it's Reminds me of some of the other League of Legends kind of like in-world media pieces that have bled out into... Um, the world that I pay attention to, like Pentakill or whatever it is, the band set in the world of League of Legends actually has some incredibly good songs, um, not the least of which being the lead singer of that band is uh, Jorn Land, who is one of the greatest like vocalists out there. I absolutely love his voice. Um, and that's a League of Legends thing. So it's just like, wow, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that this thing I, I have historically never cared about has made something that I care about. I think that's that's fucking cool. Um, and now I'm sitting here being like, I want, I want more things to do this. You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's a, a wholly unique story, you know? Like, I think bits of this are probably explained in, like, probably Jinx's bio or something like that. Like, I'm sure people who play League of Legends and know, like, a lot about the lore are going like, Oh yeah, this is this bit of their life or whatever. Um, but me, completely unaware. Hi. Love it. I think it's great. And I would... You know, this reminds me of all those goddamn hero videos that Blizzard did for Overwatch. And just how amazing some of those storytelling elements were. Uh, and this was before we knew Blizzard was an absolutely horrible company that treats their employees like uh, replaceable garbage. And that whole fucking system needs to be rebooted. Uh, but that's... That's beside the point. Arcane is cool! Um, you don't even have to... It has no connections to the video game as far as I can tell outside of it having characters 
And the world, I believe, is probably fairly similar. But, like, they're not playing League of Legends in the show. Like, it's just... It's just a steampunky, dystopian future fantasy show that's really well put together. That just so happens to be inspired by League of Legends and written by whom I presume are some of the writers and creators and people behind the game itself worked on this as well. And I think that's just so fucking cool. You know, if you spend your your whole life working on a thing and then you get to make like iterative content based on that thing in different mediums, I think that's awesome. You know, that'd be the equivalent of like Notch, who made mine, who helped make Minecraft with a team, uh, went on to be a part of like a Minecraft movie and all this other stuff. Like, to to have something that is so popular that you can explore into different areas and to have the same people responsible for one thing to go do that other thing as as a creative person, that's kind of the dream. So, props props to them, whole cloth, right? Games. Has, has made a pretty good looking show here uh, and I'm excited to see where it goes from, from there and I hope this can kind of inspire other similar situations because I can think of a lot of games that would benefit from such a treatment and would probably be able to tell really fucking good stories um, but who knows who knows I think if any game was going to get this sort of treatment League of Legends make a lot of sense to me and it looks like so far they've they're off to the races on this one, off on the right track. Next thing in podcast. A long time ago, in the far off year of 2008, a game came out called Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. And recently, that generation has been remade. When the original generation came out, I was math. 14? Yeah. And I had just moved to a new to a new town, to a new state, right before starting high school. Great time to move. Um, but that's how it happens. And I, I was playing that Pokemon game. And indeed, Pokemon Pearl, I want to say. Or it might be Platinum. I'm not entirely sure. Either one uh, is... I still have like the original save file from when I played that game. And that was the only time in a Pokemon game I ever caught them all. Um... So I'm still, I still have that like save file. So I still technically have them all um, for all of that matters. But I loved fourth gen. Some of my all time favorite Pokemon came from fourth gen. Lucario's from fourth gen. And he's like number two on my list. Number one is Arcanine because it's a big fucking flaming fire dog that you can ride like a horse. And that's just amazing. Um, so when they announced Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the remake, I'm like, these were the ones that I was really excited for. Most of the remakes are awesome hard gold and soul silver are probably the pinnacle of the 2d versions of pokemon it's hard to beat that game um especially because as soon as you beat the hoenn region you get access to kanto and you can basically it's like two games in one so yeah that game is probably like the best pokemon game as far as i'm concerned my favorite pokemon game is probably uh like the fourth generation of pokemon games but Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby are also phenomenal. Um, and after the disappointment of Sword and Shield, it's nice to go back to what I would consider to be the last good, true Pokemon game. X and Y is pretty good, but after after Gen 4, they started introducing things like Mega Evolutions and all that crap. And I know that stuff is present in um, Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby, but it's I guess it's... You know, and that's one of the reasons why I don't think that game is is as good as this one. Because this one, to me, feels more pure and untainted by weird gimmicky crap that we see later on. Gen 4's, like, fault, from my point of view, is a, a unreasonable reliance on Pokemon that either require love to evolve or trading to evolve. Now, I'm actually in a situation where multiple people I know have this game. And so I could trade Pokemon to evolve them if I wanted to. But it's been so ingrained in me as a Pokemon player to not bother with those guys. Because you, can, you can't reach their full potential without the help of somebody else. And most of the time, I didn't have a somebody else in order to trade with. So I avoid, like, all the Geodudes and all the Abras. Like, I just don't fuck with them because... No, I'm not trading dick to evolve them. That's just, I hate that shit. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, 
currently I am, I don't know, 13, 14 hours into the the game and I'm about I'm in the middle of the the sixth gym right now. Um, which right out the gate means it's infinitely better than Sword and Shield because if I had sunk this many hours into Sword and Shield, I would have beaten the game by now. That game is remarkably short. And that's one of the many reasons why that game sucked. But this one, to me, is is like the... I recall this game taking me as a child like a good 40 hours to beat. I don't think it's going to take that long this time around. Um, mostly because of the experience share being on permanently by default at the very start of the game. Which means if you grind even a, uh, like a millisecond, your Pokemon will be on average 10 to 15 levels higher than every other trainer you encounter, including the gym leaders. My Pokemon are so fucking stacked, it's not even fair. And on one hand, it feels kind of cool. Because you're basically this unstoppable god being. And when I hit the Elite Four, my Pokemon are going to be like level 70. And it's going to be just a... I'm just going to completely dominate them. And on one hand, that feels cool. And the other benefit I can think of of having XP share all the time is that... A lot of the more... In my opinion, a lot of the more interesting Pokemon occur way later in the game in terms of being found in the wild. And having EXP share on all the time by default makes catching Pokemon in the late game more viable. Because they will level up faster. So... That, to me, is a benefit, and it allows you to change the, the makeup of your team fairly often. Indeed, my fucking main six layout has changed six, seven times. Um, it's, it, I, I, in a couple of gym battles, I even swapped out people in like my box because they were better suited to face that gym. Something I've never done before. I would usually pick my six, and I would keep those six for the entire game regardless of type advantage i would just brute force my way through gym battles and stuff like that and that strategy usually worked um as of right now i am undefeated in my pokemon game not one person has beaten me the only thing that has come close was found in the grand underground which was a mechanic in the original game but it's now been expanded to actually be fun and interesting so now what they've done is they've put these rooms in the grand underground and certain pokemon will spawn down there depending on your progression in the game. The further you get in the game, the greater the variety of Pokemon that spawn in these fucking rooms. Which I think is a beautiful mechanic. It's actually also a phenomenal place to grind because those Pokemon, when you go down there, are on average two to five levels stronger than you are. So, you go down there to catch some, some rare fucking dude, you're in for a fight. Because those guys are going to be strong as hell, and they do not want to be captured. The greatest example of this that I saw was a fucking Scyther. I have brilliant Diamond version. Um, I went with Diamond version because that gives me access to the dogs, the legendary dogs, Entai, Suicune, and Raikou, uh, whom I prefer over the, the birds from the original generation. And then my brother loves the birds, so he got Shining Pearl. Anyway, um, I went down there and I saw a Scyther and I started fighting him. And I got him down to where it's like, you know, probably had like two to three hit points left. I burnt 35 Pokeballs on him. And he killed five of my guys. And I didn't catch him. But in the end, I ended up killing him. And then I just ran. Because it's like, he almost destroyed me. That Scyther just would not go down. Um, and then I saw a second Scyther later on. And I tried the same thing again. And I gave up after ten Pokeballs. Because it's just like, it's not happening. He just doesn't want to be caught. As cool as it would be to have a Scizor on my team. I'm almost positive he needs to be traded to evolve him. So fuck that shit. Yeah, I, I, I caught, like, I had a, a Baneary on my team, and it's like, I evolve with love! And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm not stuffing you full of Poffins or wandering around with you outside the Pokeball or whatever the fuck it takes for you to, like, be a, be a competent Pokemon. I just don't care. So, any Pokemon that evolves with, with love, I just stuck in the box. I'm like, I'm not messing with that shit. Um, my current team, I started with Piplup. Um, I have a Luxray... I have um, Ponyta, who's a couple of levels away from evolving. I have a Mamoswine. I got him in the underground. Um, and evolving him was a bitch because in order for Pilloswine to evolve into Mamoswine, he needs to know ancient power. And the only way to teach ancient power is to go to the move rememberer guy 
that's in like a town that starts with a P and he will only do that if you give him a heart scale and the only way to find a heart scale is to go into the Grand Underground and dig for one. But I eventually found one and then I was able to get my Mammoth Swine. Um, I have a Gardevoir. I found a Ralts in the Grand Underground which was fucking phenomenal and they goddamn romper stomp all over everything. Um, who am I forgetting? I'm trying to picture the team in my head. Empoleon, Gardevoir, Luxray, Mamoswine, Ponyta, and Knocked Owl. Knocked Owl. So that's my team makeup right now. Um, it may change depending on who I discover later on. Um, but as of right now, I'm pretty satisfied with the way my team is laid out. The art style took some getting used to. The giant fucking chibi heads made it look like it was a Pokemon game made by Funko Pop. Um... But I got used to it, and in the battles, they're like full-sized adults, which makes me wonder why the fuck they just didn't do that all the other times. Like, just use the same engine for X and Y and do it for, for this game. I don't know, but whatever. It looks fine. It's kind of cutesy, um, and it does remind me more of the original 2D because they did have enormous heads and tiny bodies, so it makes sense why they did this, but as it took some getting used to. Um... Is there anything else I want to say about this game? It's just it's just been a ton of fun. Um, it is it is kind of remarkably easy. I do love the Grand Underground. That's just fun to dick around in. Um, the HM changes where you can basically summon random ass Pokemon to do the HMs is kind of great. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wish that's your only way to use it. It's not It's not in addition to like teaching your Pokemon those moves and having them use them in the wild. That's the only way you can do those things. So if you need something cut, a fucking wild Bidoof will show up and help you. If you need to fly, a wild whatever the fuck will show up and help you. Even though I have Pokemon that no cut and I have Pokemon that no fly, I cannot have those specific Pokemon take me places. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, I mean, obviously, it, I'm a huge Pokemon fan. I'm a huge Pokemon fan. And as I said, this is one of my favorite generations. So I'm completely biased in my review. But I do think, as far as Pokemon games go, this is a really, really good one. Just made to look better on the Switch, which is so fucking important. Um, so I would recommend it if you're a big Pokemon fan. And if you're looking for something that's really fun and now because of some of those changes incredibly easy um to to, to dig around with pokemon is a, is a good bed to lie in let's move on to the next thing in podcast finally this week let's talk about critical road i believe this is episode four i'm going to be talking about i'm a week behind now which might actually be beneficial for spoilers but thanks to them taking a week off i'm probably going to get caught up here pretty soon uh, but for right now, I'm a week behind. Episode 4. Last time we left off, Sir Bertrand Bell got fucking murderized in an alley and is dead. Um, and so the party gets, like, Imogen basically wakes up and goes to Laudan and goes like, something's wrong. And then they go find uh, Orem, Fern, and uh, Dorian uh, to go track down Sir Bertrand Bell. And they eventually do find him. Um, and they go to Lord Asteros' house. And they're all very sad. And they, Lord Astros lets them stay in his house because it's not safe to stay anywhere else. And eventually uh, Ashton and Fresh Cut Grass wake up and they all meet up and they're all informed and it's all very sad. Everybody's really bummed that Sir Bertrand Bell died. Um, kind of, sort of, not really. Um, you know, they only knew him for two days. It's, it's, as far as character deaths go in Critical Role, this is probably the least impactful. Don't get me wrong. I loved Sir Bertrand Bell. I loved him quite a bit, but we just didn't spend enough time with him to really get to know him, and the most people were pretty fucking confident he was gonna kick it. So this didn't come as a surprise. So it's not really all that sad. I'm more curious with what the fuck Travis is gonna roll up with next. And quick side note: Travis does not show up in this episode, so I still don't know what his new character is, if there is any. Um, I'm sure he's just off having a grand old time doing whatever, probably watching football anyway they uh they reaffirm their desire to stick together because you know bell brought them together and they want to track down his killer and so they go back to the wayward inn or whatever the fuck it's called um and orem goes down a hole 
uh, that some of those fucking monsters crawled out of before uh, when uh, Danis died. And uh, he goes down there with a uh, fern as a snake. And he goes like 30 feet and drops a, a fun little magic coin that lets you know how far the distance is when it's dropped. And it, it went on for like another 1,200 feet or something like that. Just a super big deep hole. Um, and they eventually give that up and they start going around and asking questions using some good old-fashioned interrogation techniques like bribery. And we eventually got a name of the person who killed Bertrand Bell. And his name was Duggar. And apparently Duggar didn't used to be like this, according to an informant that Dorian seduced. Um, they, they used to be a carpenter. They used to be fairly normal. And then something changed, man. They just started getting all sallow and gross and getting into some weird shit. And, and they just weren't the same after that. And so they were to be avoided. Uh, Ashton takes his buddies over to his, uh, his domain where he's been staying over there at the Crook House. And we meet Milo and... Milo gives Ashton some information about the uh, where to find somebody who might know something about a, a group of ruffians called the Corsairs, uh, who are fairly infamous in, uh, in this particular neck of the woods. And Ashton clearly has some history with this potential informant, but it is not entirely clear as to why or how or what's going on. And so they go off to this place called the... Not the Elden Ring. What the fuck is this called? Elderport? Elden something? I don't remember what it's called. They go off to some merchant place and they talk to this fancy baker. And fancy baker's like, go to this place, talk to this person. Say you're looking for the laughter. And they, so they go to that place and they talk to that person. And they say, we're looking for the laughter. And they're led through like a series of rooms and stuff like that into a chamber full of like 30 something people that all just begin to laugh maniacally. And somebody steps up with the sword and goes, this is not your day, friend. And that's when the episode ended. So it looks like they've been hoodwinked and, and fucked around with and now are in for quite a fight by the seams, by the looks of it. Um, it was a decent episode. I enjoyed the like the farewell words to Bertrand. Uh, it was a shorter episode, uh, barely over four hours, like four hours and ten minutes. Um, so by all accounts, it was a shorter episode. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um... It'll be interesting to see what Travis comes back as. And it's it's just pleasant. You know? Like, it's just fun to watch. It's not annoying or stressful or anything like that. It's just good goddamn entertainment. And I'm thrilled that Robbie is still hanging around. I don't know how long Robbie's gonna be around. But he fits in so fucking naturally. Like, he's... If he is just a guest star, he's probably my favorite guest star. He's, he's absolutely killing it. I absolutely love Dorian. Um, and a lot of that comes from the benefit of being an EXU and having time to play with these people. And so he's a lot more comfortable with his character and with the role-playing and stuff like that. He's he's really come a long way. And I think that that's simply phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I, I love that Robbie is still around. And I will be tremendously sad if and when he leaves the party. Um, I hope it is not for some time. Um, my guess is that it won't be until, like, their work in uh, the Trispires is done um, as far as what the Ashari sent them out to do. Um, Orem pulled uh, Lord Esteros aside and started talking about Rashad Brescio and how it is a mission of... It seems to be related to Vox Machina. And it's he mentioned that it's reminiscent of another attack on the family, which to me uh, recalls images of the Dorolos in the Briarwoods. And as we all know, I believe Lord Briarwood is still out there and is still a threat. Um, I don't believe he was conquered in Dolan's closet. And so if if it's the Briarwoods again, or for, I mean, Ripley's dead, as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I'm aware. Um, so that's where my head went. And I'm sure a lot of other people were like theorizing about that too, being like, what do they mean? Attack on the family. Liam is doing a phenomenal job of not being super explicit with a lot of stuff uh, and really teasing it out, which is kind of phenomenal. Um, and I mean, right out the gate, this one more than this season, more than season two, is touching on the people of Vox Machina, primarily because, I mean, Laden is from Whitestone and fucking Orem works for Keyleth, so. You know, there's, there are connections there. And I loved that they sent Bertram Bell back to Whitestone. Um, in fact, there's a great video of Laura on Twitter, like, 
Percy dear, we've got a package! Oh no! Oh my god! It's great. Um, great episode. You know was also a great episode? This episode of the podcast. Thank you all very much for listening to the Going Outcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I will see you all next week for another brand spanking new episode. Have a good one, everybody.